It's Friday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back with you for the final show of the week and a good one coming up here. Nick Nelson from Twins Daily will join me here in just a few minutes to talk about that team this season and some of the, you know, some of the angst that I sense around this team and maybe some of the angst that I've projected in talking about this team this year, the dichotomy, the paradox seemingly of a first place team, one that's still in first place even after now losing three in a row at Detroit, losing the season series to Detroit for the first time in several years. Um, still three and a half games up on Cleveland, still pretty mediocre in this really bad American League Central. And, you know, the kind of the, the frustration, the weird kind of place that fans are in. And, you know, bigger than that, though, where the organization is at, what, what, we, what we maybe have overlooked that are positives, what uh, how we frame the things that are negative and what the outlook is for this franchise, not just this year, but in years to come. Nick and I will get into all of those things and more here, like I said, in just a few minutes. Got a Lynx thought at the end, bad loss for them on uh, Thursday to the last place team in the WNBA, the Indiana Fever. First, though, what did I miss? I stayed up late, so maybe you didn't have to. Maybe you did, but I watched um, the vast majority of that Vikings-Seahawks game, and I've got some takeaways from it. I'll probably write about this today as well, but I got some takeaways from what I saw. I don't think it was any. I don't think there's any state secrets based on um, post-game comments too. But I, I, I have five takeaways from this game, and you know, I was I was watching this probably with a little bit more intrigue than most uh, preseason games, just because the roster did turn over <clears throat> so much this year, right? I mean, they've got a lot of the same starters, but most of the starters don't play in the in the now abbreviated preseason anymore. I think, I think Kevin O'Connell said they rested like 17 or 18 projected starters, didn't, didn't play any of those guys. So mostly it's the second string and the third string playing in this first preseason game out in Seattle. Vikings lose... 24 to 13 but you know when they were playing mostly the second string with a little bit of first string mixed in you had some first string offensive linemen you had Jordan Addison in there for for a spell you had a few defensive players who might project to be starters or at least key contributors in there for a while uh, they were up 10 nothing and so you take some of that away you take a look at the uh, the bigger picture of a 24-13 loss and here is what I come up with number one Ty Chandler, running back, who got the majority of the workload when it mattered most, which is basically the first half of that first preseason game. I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, he projects, I think, to be the backup running back, even though when the unofficial first depth chart came out earlier in the week, he was listed at number three. Alexander Madison, of course, didn't suit up for this game. He's the presumed incumbent, not incumbent, he's the presumed starter this year now that Dalvin Cook is not here. Kene Nwangu is the uh, the projected backup, at least according to that first depth chart, but Nwangu's still recovering from some injuries. Chandler got a chance to show what he can do, and I thought he was really impressive. Running the ball, in particular catching the ball, there's a sequence on the Vikings' first field goal drive in the first half where he caught a couple passes deep in the uh, deep in Seahawks territory, turned them into, there was just modest gains, like six to eight yard gains. But both of the plays, what I noticed on both those plays was he was anticipating cutting even before the ball get there, even before the defender got there. And that essentially turned 
a kind of a nothing play, a potential, not necessarily a negative play, but like a one or two yard gain into a positive, you know, six, seven, eight yard gain. He did that on two consecutive plays. That caught my eye. Someone who can catch the ball out of the backfield and make defenders miss. And he was doing that really all night long, not just catching the ball, but running the ball. Um, and uh, Kevin O'Connell, head coach of the Vikings, also noticed some of those same things. Here he is after the game. Across the board, I thought in the first half, offensively, uh, Nick Mullins really, you know, really managing the game really well, making some big-time decisions, moving within the pocket, checking the ball down at the right times, pushing the ball down the field at the right times. Uh, I thought Ty Chandler jumped out just any time he had the ball in his hand, very rarely tackled by the first defender. Um, that was in space, you know, as you know, catching the ball and then picked up really where he left off as far as uh, his ability when the lights come on to, you know, sometimes turn into a different guy. And, uh, you know, now I want to see it every single day and, and, and really see him be consistent because he's proven, you know, when, when uh, it goes live and it's, it's real football, he's a tough guy to bring to the ground. Uh, now you'll notice O'Connell also, you know, gives Chandler something to work on. He wants to see, I think, those practice habits, bringing that to training camp, bringing that to practice every single day as well, um, and not just, you know, turning it on when the lights come on. That's a good quality to have. Being able to be a good game performer is a good quality to have, but they already talked about him needing to be better in pass protection and him needing to be better now in, um, you know, in his everyday habits, and I think those will go a long way to determining if he sticks in that primary backup role or if he gets usurped at some point here. Now, you also heard um, Kevin O'Connell talking about Nick Mullins, backup quarterback, and I agreed. I thought he was very good in this game. I think you see the obvious difference between Kirk Cousins and Nick Mullins when Nick Mullins is in there. But like like uh, like Kevin O'Connell said, I think I thought Nick Mullins did a nice job of managing the game, of you know doing some good things in the face of some relatively heavy pressure, especially like on that first field goal drive. He was getting hit uh, relentlessly, but but stood in there, made some plays, got the Vikings down the field, and then later um, later had a touchdown drive. He finished the game, I believe, fourteen for 20, which is, you know, pretty good numbers, 14 of 20, 139 yards, no interceptions, one touchdown. He wasn't sacked, but he was certainly pressured and hit plenty. Passer rating of 106. So you see kind of the, uh, the what, what, what they've got right now at backup quarterback. I thought he did a functional job as the number two quarterback. You know, Kirk Cousins hasn't been injured, hasn't missed a start because of injury in eight years as a starter in this league. So, you know, Nick Mullen's job is generally pretty easy. Hold the clipboard, be in the, the meetings, um, but gave you a certain amount of confidence that if Kirk Cousins had to miss a game or two, if Kirk Cousins had to miss a series or two at some point, he can hold down the fort. So I thought that was important as point number two. And, you know, kind of bringing to point number three, the overall sentiment I got from watching that game is that their kind of their next level depth looked pretty good to me, whether it was skill position guys, whether it was guys on defense, kind of that next layer, which is probably the most important layer of depth, I would say, Um, you know, once you get once you got to kind of, you know, once you're kind of past the 22 projected starters and you're talking about the next like 10 or 12 guys who might figure to play a lot either as spot starters for injury or as you know spot uh, someone a series or two if they're you know, banged up or tired. I thought that depth looked pretty good. I thought I thought you know we'd already talked about Mullins, we had talked about Chandler. Um, I thought some of the guys in the secondary did good work. I thought they got some pass rush, especially early on in the game, and uh, it did some things to affect stuff there. So I thought their 
they're kind of showing up in that kind of second string that built that 10 nothing lead. I thought that that depth looked good. Now, conversely, um, the next level after that next level, the third string or the second and third string mix, that did not look good. Those are the teachable moments, the correctable things that Kevin O'Connell likes to talk about. Those things will be worked on for sure, but that's that's a little bit concerning because some of those guys will be called upon at some point here. They did not look so good in this game. I'm thinking specifically about some of the pass protection, thinking about Jaron Hall, the rookie quarterback who has not done many favors, and then the defense gave up three second-half touchdowns um, owing to a combination of things. But they got to work on that next level of the next level of depth if they are going to be a you know a, a team that can contend and a team that can withstand the uh, the natural injuries that happen over the course of a year. Um, number four, Greg Joseph looked good in this game. Made both of his field goals, including a 54-yarder. Made his only extra point. If there was a kicking battle, um, he got he got all of the he got all of the place kicking duties at least. And it was funny. Um, I was kind of watching some of this game right before my kids went to bed, and uh, my my wife asked my my daughter, "What do you even know exactly what the what the goal of football is?" None of my none of my kids are sports fans, at least not watching sports fans. They like to play sports, but they are not watching sports on TV fans at all. Um, my wife asked my my daughter, "Do you know what the goal of football is?" And she's like, "Yeah, it's it's to get the get the football through those fork things, and the fork things being." the uprights and i you know that is not the only goal in football but uh, you do see them kicking the ball through the uprights quite often sometimes not through the uprights sometimes adjacent to the uprights but but greg joseph good in this game succeeded in the object at least according to my nine-year-old daughter of kicking the ball through those fork things final point in all of this I spent a fair amount of time watching this game saying, who are these guys? And that's probably fairly common in the preseason. I just It felt like the overall theme to me as I watched it was I knew fewer and fewer of the second and third string players. And that just kind of underscores how much transformation the bottom part of the roster has undergone, and certainly even some of the top part of the roster, especially on defense. There's not a ton of continuity on defense as they've tried to kind of undergo this competitive rebuild, remake themselves under uh, under defensive coordinator Brian Flores, kind of remake themselves, get younger, get better after last year's defensive struggles, and really, honestly, the defensive struggles of the last three or four years. How, how are they going to be able to do that? Can they do that? Can some of these guys who we don't know their names right now, can they become key players for this team? Will that develop? And that's a big part about 2023. It's a big part about the Kwese Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell era. Can they successfully bridge that gap? Can these players become, hey, I know this player now. That's a player who I trust on the field right now. So that's going to be what I'm watching for a lot the rest of the preseason and certainly into the 2023 season as well. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Let's bring in Nick Nelson right now, co-owner, co-founder of Twins Daily, first time on Daily Delivery, but uh, I wanted to pick Nick's brain on a bunch of Twins subjects. Nick, how you doing? Doing, uh, doing pretty good. You know, another another tough game today, but uh, can't complain. It's a sunny, sunny, nice day. 
Well, and that's the funny thing, right? And and maybe that kind of frames some of the, the early part of our, our discussion here is like, you know, initially I reached out to you earlier this week. We couldn't make a time work on like Monday. If we were talking on Monday, we'd be talking about a team that had won five in a row. If it was, if it was Monday night, we'd be talking about a, a winning streak, a team that like looked like it can do no wrong. But instead, we are recording on a, a late Thursday afternoon. They've now lost three in a row to the Tigers, two straight shutout losses. Cleveland's won two in a row, so now the lead in the division's down to three and a half, although that's four games better than it was at the All-Star break. Um, and you, you've been a fairly like vocal critic, at least of, of some things, especially not doing anything at the trade deadline. And I think we're seeing some of the evidence of maybe why that's a mistake with some bullpen issues they've had and you know maybe the lack of right-handed hitting even though they've had a little bit more of it at times lately what to you before we get to kind of like the the general fan angst that I want to talk about what to you was so upsetting about them essentially doing nothing at the trade deadline it it just didn't make sense you know i mean i came in with pretty low expectations i don't think i really expected them to make any huge moves or anything like that I don't think many people did, but uh, you look at this team and it's obviously got some flaws. And beyond that, I mean, they're just constantly experiencing this attrition. We learned, I think, on the same day, or at least the same week of the deadline, uh, that Brock Stewart had a setback. I don't expect him back this year. That Alex Kirloff had a setback. He's on the injured list indefinitely. Uh, Just to get a few pieces that can maybe backfill some of what you're losing seems like a no-brainer. And, you know, the cost for some of these side complementary pieces was not going to be that high. So, um, yeah, you just kind of wonder if they leveraged themselves into a position where there was just nothing that could materialize at the end. Uh, I know they're in conversations, but uh, absolutely baffling and flabbergasting to just make zero moves when the time came. You weren't impressed by flipping um, Jorge Lopez for Dylan Floro to underperforming relieve him. And that was really essentially that was the only trade they made. And then, you know, a few days later and not too long ago, they, they got the waiver choir for, for Jordan Luplo. I don't know if that does much for you either he's been okay but like those are like could it's like tell me you you tried in the least possible way kind of feels like yeah those are pretty low wattage moves i mean you know the floral thing is essentially just an admission of defeat on their attempts to go big last year and you wonder if maybe that what happened last year if they're feeling spurned and that maybe caused them to have some hesitance I hope not, because, you know, it's risk is part of the game. I liked the way they operated at the deadline last year. They were aggressive. They went after high-end pieces. They didn't give up any truly, you know, unmovable prospects. Um, and, it, and it didn't work out. And sometimes it doesn't. But you can't you can't not take the risks just because they exist, you know? No, I agree with that. I thought they were – I liked what they did last year. You're right. The Tyler Malley trade didn't work out. The Jorge Lopez trade didn't work out. Fulmer was okay, and that was probably the least of the – the least of the high leverage of, of the moves. But – you're right. I, I don't know. Maybe some of it, too, is like they they didn't have as much to deal this year because of what they dealt last year. But the kind of moves you're talking about, the kind of moves we were all talking about, um, getting a, you know, a seventh or eighth inning reliever, getting a competent right handed bat. We're not talking about trading three or four of your best prospects in that case. Right. And, you know, I think some of the rationalization was this constant. We like the guys we have. We didn't want to have to displace guys from the roster that are already there. I mean, we're talking about Joey Gallo. We're talking about Jordan Belazovic is like their like fourth highest leverage reliever now. I mean, to say that there's not easy additions to make and you know supplement this roster at least on the margins is just absurd. Now, is the trade deadline was its own kind of separate entity, but I think there was some angst around that in general. Um, but uh, 
you guys have touched on this. Uh, my colleague Patrick Royce has written about this. We've certainly talked about this. Like, there's just been kind of this feeling about this team that is that kind of runs counterintuitive or contradictory to their place in the standings this year. They've been a first place team for probably 90 or 95 percent of the year. They got off to a pretty good start. They have some likable pieces on this team. They have some things that you know can endear them to fans. Good starting pitching. You know, some young talent. They just seem to be driving people crazy. Why is that? Why, what's the disconnect between what they've, you know, accomplished at least relative to the AL Central and the perception of of this team right now? Yeah, I mean, I you know, the place I try to be, I guess, as as a Twins writer, is I try to blend that sort of you know emotional fan investment of someone who's yeah. followed the team for my whole life with that objective sort of analytical reality and balance the two. So I see both sides of it, like. There are those good things that you're talking about. They're probably going to make the playoffs. They have a roster makeup that, in my mind, is pretty well modeled to succeed in the playoffs. Um, you know, like a lot of there's a lot of overreaction to these momentary lapses and these struggles. But at the same time, Minnesota sports fans and Twins fans, especially, have just been conditioned to this. You know, and it's just like they're reinforcing the narrative every time they manage to get find a semblance of momentum and get going. It's an immediate backslide. And they look like the worst team I've ever seen. I mean, they go to Kansas City and they get swept by the Royals. They drop three out of four to Detroit. They get shut out twice. I don't, I don't even know what they shut out them out today, who that guy was. Uh, you know, so it's just like, it's a, it gets frustrating, the pessimism and sort of this doomsdayism. But even just as recently as last year, people are just like, they saw us in first place most of last year. And it was like, it felt inevitable the bottom was going to fall out. And it did. And it's like really hard to get people out of that state of mind, I think, when it's happened so many times. Well, and, and how much of it, too, is like you look at it and you're like, at any point they're even if they're in first place in the AL Central, they're usually like somewhere between the eighth and 10th best record in the American League. Like how much do people just look at it and say, yeah, you're leading the division. But look at the division like it is. Is that I feel like that's a that's a part of it. Like people can't just be easily duped by first place twins. Let's be happy about it. Well, that's the other part of it. I mean, you know, the 18-game postseason losing streak looms over everything. So there is very much, okay, yeah, they'll probably make the playoffs, but show us something there. I mean, and so it's just, it's so critical to just do something positive, make the playoff, first of all, not blow this massive opportunity, right. and then do something positive there and shake free of this narrative to some extent, which just brings us back to, like, why not get one or two more high-leverage relievers at the deadline? I mean, they're so thin right now. Yeah, they they are, and I think... The weird thing to me, and as I've, I've talked to, I think, Phil Miller about this, and maybe Roycey, too, on this show, is that, you know, it, as mediocre as this year's team is, as, you know, as much as they've kind of stumbled, kind of, you know, backslid and then, you know, kind of go on a little run and get themselves a little bit of a cushion, as much as they might be frustrating, I mean, they're, they're still like an 80 or 90 percent chance, I think, to probably win this division. And if they win the division, we're talking about a much different playoff format now than than we ever were talking about in the you know in the in the 2000s and most of the and all the 2010s too when they were you know in the years that they made it where you know if they would happen to be um you know one of the top two division winners it probably is not going to happen this year but as the third division winner which is the likeliest outcome i would think of anything that's going to happen this year you get a best of three in your home ballpark against the worst wild card like kind of almost paradoxically this year's team might have the best chance, maybe outside of 2020 when they got to play the Astros, which they should have probably done, or maybe 2006 when you've got Johan Santana playing the A's. But like all, all of those kind of what if years aside, like strangely enough, like this year could be their best opportunity to 
win a playoff series or at least win a playoff game, even if you don't love this team. Yeah, I mean, they have the ingredients. This is something I wrote about uh, earlier this week on Twins Daily. You know, uh, the Twins offense is very frustrating in that they are so power reliant that um, sometimes it's just a day like today where they're not hitting home runs and they're not doing a single dang thing, you know, but there's a lot of evidence to show that teams that are like that, that are more reliant on home runs to score are more successful in the playoffs Right. because you're not, you're not playing a lot of pitchers that you can just string singles together against, you know, you're not probably not going to hit five straight singles against Max Scherzer. So the ability to do some damage when you're able to put the ball in play, hit a two run homer becomes a lot more valuable. We've talked about the starting pitching Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray by wins above replacement are two of the best 10 best pitchers in major league baseball. And you've got Griffin Jackson and Yon Drown at the back end of the bullpen who, you know, when they're in their game, they're, they can make this uh, at a seven-inning game, essentially. I mean, that is the recipe for winning in the playoffs, right? Yeah, it is, and it's it's weird to think about it that way, but they do have those ingredients. You started with Gray and Lopez, and I think any any postseason rotation starts with those two guys. But the rotation this year has been so deep. Like, you've got a lot of different people you can look at. Like, Kenta Maeda was good again today he might have been you know one he's been one of their best pitchers since coming back from injury in late june um bailey obers struggled a little bit lately but he had been one of their best pitchers in addition to the guys joe ryan hopefully um if he tells people about his injuries will be okay when he comes back from uh, whatever this groin ailment is that basically uh, lingered for seven starts and he apparently didn't tell anybody i don't know how much of that i believe and how much is a, is a retroactive narrative but uh, I'll, we'll, we'll we'll go with it and, and say he's going to be better like They've definitely got some some rotation options. Who? Here's a question for you that I've posed to other people. Who would be your number three starter in a playoff series right now? Like, which could be in a wild card series, could be your kind of elimination, do or die, go home or or advance game. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd probably have to be looking at like over to start and go through the lineup once or twice, and then hand it over to Maeda. Um, you know, Maeda has experience pitching in the bullpen in the playoffs. I think he'd probably be less resistant to it. It's not going to affect his contract in the same way as constantly, you know, going back and forth between the bullpen and starting did in LA. Um, so that's, that's kind of the most obvious answer to me, but a lot can change in seven weeks. Right. So maybe Joe Ryan is back on his game back then. I think most people, if you asked in May, he made maybe would have been their game one starter. So um, to lose Tyler Malley, you know, to have Joe Ryan on the IL like this and to still really be feeling so deep with rotation options for the, the postseason is an amazing thing. It's something that twins fans should probably spend a little more time feeling good about. And that's the thing. Like we don't, we I don't think we've celebrated the pitching enough because a lot of the narrative this year has been they can't hit, and that's that's been frustrating. And I want to get to that now because this lineup, at least in terms of you know value in terms of payroll, is kind of upside down right now. All of the all of the guys who are getting paid, you know, the big money, especially Carlos Correa, although he's he's done a little bit more lately. You know, jury's still out on that, but he's got at least a track record that suggests he's still got something in him for these last two months, but. Guys like Correa, Buxton, Joey Gallo, um, Christian Vasquez hasn't hit much. Like all of the guys who are making, you know, eight, ten, thirty-three million dollars have not really hit this year. And it's the guys who are on the lower side of the payroll, the, the younger hitters, Julian, um, you know, Kirilov for a while, um, now Walner, you know, Jeffers, the guys who are not making all that much are are the ones who are kind of carrying the offense to a large degree. You could frame that one of two ways. You can say, hey, you know, they've got some unexpected success. This bodes well for them, you know, if and when everybody else joins the party. Or you can say, man, they're like, they got $90 million basically tied up in a bunch of guys who are underproducing. How do you choose to look at it? I look at it in a relatively optimistic light in that, you know, if uh, Julian or Jeffers, if those guys were struggling, I don't think I'd have a lot of hope for them necessarily to get better or be factors in, in September of the postseason. 
uh, guys like Correa and Vasquez and, you know, to a lesser extent, Buxton, um, these guys have October experience. Um, you know, they're long tenured players with great track records who've been around. Um, you know, they've, they got these contracts for a reason, right? So, you know, it's in there. You hope that maybe as they get healthier or they're able to work through these things or the pressure really starts to build and, you know, they get into the situation that this is what the Twins paid Vasquez and Correa for is for September and October, this veteran leadership. So maybe that'll come to fruition. And then if some of these younger guys are still hitting, you potentially have a recipe for a team that can do some things. So that's kind of, I guess, how I try to look at it. I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I think, I think that's been part of the frustration too. Like people, I think there's two reasons people here, people, Minnesota fans, not just twins fans, but Minnesota fans in general, uh, get grumpy about teams. One is if they think the effort isn't there. And I don't think that's a problem with this team. I don't think you're seeing a lack of effort. Two, though, is when the high-priced players aren't playing up to their contracts. And so I think that's probably a part of what you're seeing. And it's not it's not the pitching end. Like, I think Lopez and Gray, their two expensive pitchers, have been just fine this year and beyond just fine. And I think Lopez is continuing continuing to ascend. And then Gray, um, you know, giving them plenty still this year, just even just never gets any runs. Um, so if you think about that, I think there is some room for for that, you know, come October, as you think about the big picture of this, a couple things um, for you, Nick Nelson from uh, twinsdaily.com, co-founder, co-owner of Twins Daily. Um, what what happens if, you know, and this is, you know, still a possibility. What happens if they don't win this division? A very winnable division last year. Um, it's not been a great division for a while now, but especially this year. Like, what if the, the wheels come off? They finish 76 and 86 and just like give away this terrible division to Cleveland or I don't even Detroit. Who knows? Like, what if somebody wins this with a 500 record and the twins are sitting there? I mean, we got to be talking about a regime change at a certain point, don't we? Yeah, it's it's tricky. I think there's got to be some kind of significant change at that point, because that is a, a catastrophe of, of unthinkable proportions. Uh, it would be to, to blow this thing when Cleveland sold and gave up. But, um, at the same time, you know, I try to think of, like, who's to blame? You know, who really screwed this up? You know, if it comes down to at the end of the year, like, the way this is shaping up is that the Twins had a good enough team and Carlos Correa was just not good enough as the centerpiece. Are you going to say they screwed up and made a bad decision by taking that opportunity to sign Carlos Correa? I think that was a no-brainer. I think I would still do that. I mean, the Twins are never going to make a deal like that again. Um, you know, so they did build the pitching staff that was promised. I mean, you know, in some ways they have been successful, but... At, there is, I think what's really frustrating from a, you know, outside standpoint is that there just seems to be maybe like a complacency or like apathy about what's going on. Like, we're not going to shake up the, the coaching staff or fire the hitting coach. Not that that's really helped the Yankees. We're not going to dump Joey Gallo. You know, we're not going to, they stuck with Max Kepler, which turned out to be a good idea, but right. we're not going to make a move at the deadline. Uh, you know, it just, it, to, to stick to that kind of script, we're not going to change anything and to have it go that direction you got to make some kind of big shakeup. I don't think that means clearing house necessarily, but uh, yeah, something's got to change in that, in that case. So what's, what's your baseline then for the rest of the year? Like what, what, what makes you say at the end of this season, this was a successful year. They gotta, they gotta at least win a playoff game. Uh, you gotta win at least one playoff game. Um, you know, the playoffs are volatile, so it's, it's hard to really depend put all your, your hopes and dreams on what happens in a three game series. But you can't you can't miss the playoffs and you can't extend this streak to 21 games. You just can't. That is an unsuccessful games, season. Yeah. It'd be 20 games, but yes, yes. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, nah. Only only 20. <laughs> just extending the modern the the all time modern North American professional sports record. Um, yes, yes. Only 20. I, I think that I think that's fair. Do you have a what's your biggest 
as you've thought about your twins fandom and you, you go back to, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these losses, what, what's the one that sticks to you as the one that was like, man, that's, that's disappointing. That, that should have been better. In this particular season? Not, not, not this particular season. I'm talking about the playoff failures that the 18 in a row and kind of the losing all the oh, series. Gosh, I go all the way back to 2004 as the turning point. I mean, the, the last game, the last game of series where they won a game, they won game one with Johan. They had game two in their hands. Yeah. Uh, anyone, anyone who remembers those days with uh, Joe Nathan getting run into the ground and some weird, weird, weird managerial decisions. Uh, yeah, that's that's the one that always sticks the most in my mind. And honestly, I think that game was what inspired me to uh, to start blogging. I started my blog the next spring. Is that right? So is it so yeah. defending Joe Nathan out for the third inning in Yankee Stadium? I don't know what you know, I don't know what their options were. So I, I can't remember who who Jesse else Crane. Was. What's was there? As I, Jesse Crane, I believe, was there. Jesse he was just okay. Jesse he was Crane, young, so Garden Hart didn't like him. <laughs> Jesse Crane would have, uh, would have, yeah. I guess, uh, Jeff. I mean, we called him the Crane Wreck sometimes. So I don't know. If that <laughs> well, was, yeah, he had his I moments. Know, I don't know if that would have uh, been there. But and then you know, in Game Four, they had a chance to win that year too. Ruben Sierra hits the long home run yep, off of yep. uh, Juan Rincon, um, inspiring the greatest quote of all time: "Nobody wants to be in my pants right now." From uh, Juan Rincon, uh, I think he meant nobody wants uh, to be in their shoes, but that, that's a that's a story for another time. Um, yeah, and that was, that was reminiscing on all these failures. It's getting me hyped up for Viking season, man. We're just we're almost there, <laughs> right? It's it's just around the corner. Hey, at least the Vikings have won a playoff game fairly recently, That's like 20, 2019. They won a playoff game, like you know the Wolves, the Wild. They've all at least won playoff games amidst all this failure. The Twins have not won a playoff game since two thousand four, and maybe that comes to uh, comes to an end this season. Certainly a winnable division. Final thing for you, Nick. Um, you know, we focus, we get kind of really micro on this year. We kind of, I think baseball is a hard game to grind. Like as, you know, as a fan, as an observer, it, I think it's hard to kind of watch it one at a time because there's 162 of them. You can get kind of too, too locked in on the most recent result. Let's take a step back and think kind of about the two, three, four year plan. Like organizationally, how do you feel like they're set up for, 2024 2025 and beyond you know even if they don't achieve all of their wildest hopes and dreams in 2023 i think they're set up pretty well and i guess you know now that you put that out there it's kind of something that contributes to me saying like i don't know if i'm like trying to wipe out the entire front office like they built right. a good infrastructure they've got pablo in place locked down i think that was a great move chris paddock locking him down could i mean that gives you a lot another option for next year they've got joe ryan obviously they've got some continuity finally in the rotation that you can feel good about they haven't had that in since johan left i don't think um you know they've they've shown some ability to develop relievers obviously got to get better there uh but duran and jacks are our big success stories and, and they've got some other arms coming up um and then you've got you know another core already coming in to sort of contend with the current one when you've got brooks lee in triple a you've got royce lewis on his way back um, you've got Walker Jenkins and, and Emmanuel Rodriguez, some really good outfielders down in the minors. So um, I feel pretty good and optimistic. I think, you know, obviously they're going to be building around the, the contracts of Correa and Buxton now as sort of these, uh, that is that is there. They have to build around that and payroll is not going to be infinite. So a lot of it will hinge on if they're able to at least be somewhat valuable. You know, they got to bounce back from this year, um, but they're still pretty young and, and I still, you know, trust their track records and I, they're good, talented players, so I, I feel good. I think Twins fans should feel pretty good about the outlook and the winning window, especially because, like, who else in the AL Central is going to is going to challenge them here in the next few years? Well, yeah, that's the thing. And would you say getting Royce Lewis back is just as good as it's almost like trading for a player? They would they would say almost like a trade. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah when you put it that way, you know what? It's, I love the trade deadline. You could also <laughs> you could also acquire someone else and get Royce Lewis back. That let's let's just yeah. you know just throwing that out that's, there. Anyway, uh, that's an um, option. 
Nick Nelson, really appreciate your time and your perspectives. You guys do a great job at uh, at Twins Daily, including the uh, the the wonderful uh, satire of my good friend Ramball Stu. Um, <laughs> yes, Nick, appreciate the uh, the time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good stuff from Nick Nelson. Appreciated having him on the show for the first time. I think he made a good point about kind of the pitching depth going forward. I was a little bit wondering about that, you know, earlier in the the pre, you know, in spring training, even before they made the, uh, you know, whenever they made the, the Pablo Lopez, Luis Arias trade. Before that, you were kind of looking at this and saying, well, Joe Ryan is really the only guy who pitched last year that you would say is really firmly in the mix for, for 2024. Now Bailey Ober has emerged. Then they made the trade for um, Pablo Lopez, and he signed to a long-term deal. And we can't forget about Chris Paddock, who they acquired in the uh, the Taylor Rogers trade. Um, also got Emilio Pagan in that deal. They'd signed him to a three-year deal, a three-year, $12 million deal. He's still coming back this year. Might still pitch at the end of this year, but he signed for two more seasons. Has been an effective starter when he's been healthy, trying to come back from that Tommy John surgery. So thinking about him, you know, a guy with a career ERA of 4.2, uh, 21, 21 wins, 21 losses in in a bunch of career starts, 65 career starts. You know, he's been a pretty effective pitcher when healthy, a guy that can kind of lock down at least the bottom part of a rotation. So think about that. you got Lopez, Ryan, um, Ober and Paddock at least kind of penciled in going into 2024. You can kind of build around that if you don't have Sonny Gray again, if you don't have you know Tyler Malley, certainly a free agent, Kenta Maeda free agent. Um, if that if that changes, if those guys aren't back, you've at least got some depth going into 2024 and really 2025 with both of those with all four of those guys as well. Let us finish quickly with the cooler links lose to the last place team in the WNBA, the Indiana Fever. Um, hurts for playoff, hurts for pride. Um, it was kind of a lopsided loss, too, and, and Nafisa Collier uh, in a lot of foul trouble in this game, and that that's never a good sign for the Lynx. Probably just a, a one-off game. You're going to lose to the bad team sometimes. Hey, just look at the Twins. They just lost to the Tigers. Before that, you know, a week or two ago, they got swept by the Royals. Sometimes this happens. Doesn't mean the sky is falling, but a disappointing loss for the Lynx. They'll be looking to get back on track and wipe the taste of that one away because that is not how you want to be going right now. That'll do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed this show and all of the week's shows. Back at it again on Monday with Royce. Season.